Welcome to another Sustainable Wine podcast with me, Toby Webb. And joining me today is John Grant, who is a green marketing expert uh, with decades of experience in marketing. John also uh, enjoys a glass of wine, as many of us do, um, and has worked in natural uh, product and, and food marketing for many years. So, John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So we wanted to talk about wine labelling. Um, I've just seen an, a really interesting article in Wine Business International talking about um, natural approaches and, uh, and so on to wine and some of the challenges, some of the claims being made around natural wines. It's, it's hugely controversial in the wine sector, mm. given um, various celebrity wines claiming to be clean and no one knows what that means and so on. But I noted in the, the, the Wine Business International piece uh, that uh, by the end of 2022, it is expected that European wine bottles will have an ingredients list. Um, and of course, that's going to be challenging for many conservative wine producers who just like to have you yes. know, the nice chateau and the alcohol level on the back. So um, as, a, as a green marketing expert, John, what, what do you think about how the wine industry should handle this increased demand for transparency, be that from consumers or on a, on a regulatory front? Well, there is a broader um, context to this, which is that there are increasing consumer demands for food and drinks and things that they put on or in their body to be clean and transparent. And whether or not you have uh, wine labelling, um, you know, you need to be um, meeting their expectations or somebody else will. And um, there was a bit of a uh, flutter last year where Guinness came out, uh, you know, along with Greg's, um, Greg's pies with their, their vegan um, their vegan uh, sausage roll. Another surprise in the sort of the rush to plant-based foods was um, Guinness announcing that they were going vegan. And the response was, well, what do, what do you mean going vegan? What have you been putting in it? And of course, I think, you know, fish guts and other things have been used for fining agents. So I remember having this conversation with um, uh, Andy, the uh, the boss at Adnams, when I was looking around their uh, their brewery. And I was saying, you know, they're sort of, we were talking about vegan and food and, you know, other stuff. I said, well, yeah, strictly we're not. And he said, well, we're, and I didn't know this until that, that conversation, we're, we're the only food and, you know, alcoholic drinks are allowed not to put their ingredient list. You, you couldn't sell a moisturizer without every single ingredient being labeled. And then it's your choice as a consumer. So I think what happens when there is disclosure in an industry is that, you know, consumers can't make head or tail of this and will keep buying bottles of wine, at, you know, because it says it's Chilean and you know it's on offer in tesco but commentators are able to leverage this and you will get trends like in beauty you've got trends like sulfate free shampoos most of the you know shampoos and many other cleaning products are made with uh, industrial surfactants and sls and sles are present in all of the top 20 shampoos in the uk but increasingly the higher end natural products are advertising themselves as sulfate free and using surfactants that are based on coconuts and, and so forth but you know and and selling you know 20 plus pound bottles of shampoo on that basis so there will be there will be as soon as you have disclosure um there will be people who have a nice little natural winery in tuscany who will have nothing unnatural in the bottle and could have you know passed the german purity war laws years ago or i don't know enough about the ingredients and production of wine to know if that's true there'll be others who have significant questions over ingredients and it will be journalists and activists and uh you know food writers like you know people like yourself who raise questions about should we be using 
XYZ. And if there's sufficient consumer intention on that, then you'll start to see a trend. But you've already got these trends in wine, like, you know, two special cases of what I'm talking about would be organic and biodynamic. And those have implied standards that people would translate to their own health as well as, you know, any planetary or soil benefits. And um, I, I think it won't be, it will be a gentle shock at first because with the best in the world, 90%, 99% of consumers won't pay much attention to it if, a, if no more than people read the salts and calories and vitamins on the back of most cereal packets. It takes a journalist to tell you that your um, your bowl of cornflakes has more sugar in it than your Coca-Cola, and then you sort of sit up and pay attention. I think that's where the questions will be asked. And actually, I've, you know, question back to you. I mean, is, is, is it... I mean, I think it's nice that wines have this mystique where they haven't had to label ingredients. You just shoot, assume it's sort of water, grapes, and whatever fell off people's feet as they were treading them. <laughs> um, but but is there, you know, are there, do you think there are some ingredient concerns that will hurtle up the list? Will there be people buying vegan wines or sulfate-free wines or things as a result of this? Well, it's a really good question, John. I think it depends on the wine you're talking about. So if you're talking about the kind of wine that, you or I might drink, it's not really, it's not a problem uh, as far as I can mm. tell, chemically, scientifically. You can talk about trace elements that go into wine that are used for various reasons, whether that's to stop things like Brettomyces um, uh, or, or whether it's um, sulfites. But um, the proportion of sulfites in wine is far less than a packet of dried fruit. You know, we've all seen the charts. Um, various things used in, in wines that I would drink, I'm not worried about. But if you go to the US and or you go to a supermarket anywhere and buy the, their equivalent of the US brand Two Buck Chuck, you know, this is this is not a wine, as far as I can right. tell. It's a concoction <laughs> of, of ingredients. But they call it wine, but I wouldn't recognise it as such, and I doubt you would either. And so the, mm. the kind of disclosure that they might need to do for those wines would be quite frightening for the consumer, I imagine. Because we all inherently know if you're paying very small amounts of money for something you're putting in your body, the chances are, you know, is it all that good for you? Maybe not. So you might hold up the bottle and go, well, there's 50 different ingredients in this. Whereas if I look at the sort of king of, of wine disclosure, it's this fantastic vineyard winery in the US called Ridge, which is incredibly famous. Um, mm. And they have been putting full disclosure on their labels for years. And, you know, one of the ingredient labels from 2011 says, hand-harvested, sustainably grown grapes, indigenous yeasts, naturally occurring malolactic bacteria, carbon, calcium carbonate, minimum effective SO2. And that's all that's in it. So if that's the right. wine you're making, I don't think it's a problem. But if you're, if you're selling a three-pound bottle of wine, then it's industrially made. Um, so probably, it's probably, probably a good thing for the industry. I know there's a perfectly uh, good living to be made selling the kind of stuff that you could also put in your truck. But other than that, um, it could help. Because um, wine, the, the, the reason it's an interesting question mark is that people, I think, have a very positive, natural, you know, if you pick up a, you know, if you pick up a spirit-based brand and it's blue, you've got a fair idea that's probably full of chemicals. And I know in beer, there's been a real split between, uh, I was working with um, Carlsberg and, they, I met some of their um, colleagues from Ukraine who had a, you know, a, 
uh, hero local brands and they they said it's got so bad in consumer perceptions that people think us big in you know national and international brands are basically made from powder and water in the factory they don't think we're brewed and you know whilst there are some questions about their their hops and other stuff it's it's not quite that bad but i think people have a very positive natural halo around wine it's like drinking a you know a bowl of cherries or, or something like that and they will I think the question for the wine industry, if, if, if it's people who honestly are slightly more at the diamond white end of things, um, I, I, I suspect their consumers may be buying on price and will, can probably live with the, the ingredients list that's on there. And, you know, along with smoking and other things, they're, they're not necessarily the most health concerned group. Well, yes, it could be like that old Bill Hicks joke, um, you know, the American comedian who, when they started putting warnings on cigarette packets, he'd go in and order a carton of low birth weights. Uh, <laughs> found my brand, as he put it famously in the early 90s. Um, and, and yes, you suspect that might be right. Also, I think in Europe as well, you can get a wine for two or three euros a bottle. I, in fact, when I lived in France, I used to try to get a Carrefour and find the most drinkable bottle of wine I could for under five euros. Mm. About three, three euro Corsican wine or one from the Languedoc. Actually, it doesn't have to be industrially manufactured. It just has to be machine. No, that's true. And the land has to be fairly cheap, whereas in the US, the structure of the land and the subsidies are so different, you have to make it industrially manufactured in order for it well, to... American be wine is price, you know. more expensive in America than here, isn't it? I, w- I, was in a, I was in a meeting in California, and I knew one of the, my colleagues was a master of wine. I said, please, please, please take me wine shopping. I want to bring some very special Napa wine back with me. It was like, mm, go to Majestic. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, they charge double here to give the perception that it's as good as French. Yes, I mean, <laughs> and, it's famously very expensive, particularly Napa. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, my Portuguese friend makes it a point of honour never to pay more than five euros for a bottle of wine because, you know, you have to know you have to know the wine and you have to know the producer and other stuff, but you can get some real bargains there if you know what you're looking for. Yes, a lot of it, as I mentioned, is to do with the structure of, of sort of land ownership and deals and investors and all of that. Europe, Europe is much more traditional. We- so there's much the, more family. One other thing yeah. on your overall question, the one other thing you'll find mm. is that with labelling or disclosure of any f- form with no further intervention will lead to a number of things that are secret in the industry that become dirty secrets being cleaned up. When, um, when America introduced toxic release inventory and just told industrial companies in America, you have to tell us how many of the following 30 got elements and compounds you're emitting you know one of them was lead um within two years um emissions of those chemicals i think the figure was halved and you know people like monsanto were on american tv saying we're sorry for being the biggest polluter in america but we're now you know we've got this but just having those figures in public they say that you know sunlight's the death's best disinfectant so if there is anything that probably shouldn't be in wine that's a bit sort of marginal and questionable it probably won't be in wine in five years time because it'll just become a, a commercial risk to have something like that on on your label that people are looking out for a bit like e-numbers you know yes absolutely yeah i mean look i see it as a great opportunity but the other thing i wanted to ask you about was um the carbon footprint of wine if you look at the carbon footprint of wine it it, it is not in the vineyard um you know in certain crops there is a huge ghg uh, issue on the farm but in other crops it's much less so. yes when it comes to wine the carbon footprint is in just dis- is in you know bottles manufacturer distribution uh, retail use and, well, re- and recycling um which for a lot of winemakers is sort of they feel it's sort of beyond their control 
but then they'll often give you a wine bottle which is 895 grams empty <laughs> and actually the, 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 as far as I know you can have a wine bottle of about 350 grams and it will still hold up integrity wise mm. so do, you, do you see um, a big challenge there around packaging and bottles and what do you think can be done if you look into a crystal ball there because you know they always say in the wine industry the reason we have a wine bottle of 750 mils is that that was the lung capacity of a french glass blower 300 years ago or 200 years ago and it seems slightly ludicrous now that we still have these large glass bottles do you see climate change mm. and consumer awareness really affecting that that issue in the future uh i do um it might actually so for instance you know um i think it's johnny walker are bringing out a plas a paper bottle um and diageo and you know various others are really excited about this and several others like absolute have a paper bottle coming but apparently it has a plastic sleeve so it's effectively a bottle shaped tetra pack whereas this other one is genuinely made of cellulose and i imagine because glass is a fairly sustainable um material in terms of its recycling profile but actually i imagine that is a lot to do about shipping weight and if you are a company like diageo that has global science-based targets and you see that the weight of what you're shipping is a big part of your footprint and actually lo and behold there are some economies to be made you know the, the fuel that's put into trucks and so forth um then you'd be very motivated to explore alternative packaging, which also gets you fantastic, you know, positive PR for, you know, looking at things differently. Um, so you might find some of those bigger players driving this. I know uh, Pomayo Padayo, who's a, a friend of mine's um, involved, a winery that him and his family uh, operated in Italy, and they were often invited to the Italian government Biennale on sustainability as our most sustainable wine company. But they, I remember him specifically looking at uh, the weight of glass bottles, and it's a sort of balancing act. It's rather like, you know, the arguments about should you put M&S fruit in uh, plastic coffins and if you look at the spoilage uh, with certain fruits like avocados, it can make sense to keep encasing them in something that's rigid because otherwise you lose so much fruit that you gain one thing and then you lose on the food weight. And if you make bottles so light that they sort of uh, they shatter if you look at them or somebody sings, if an opera singer's in the bar, then you've probably gone too far. But I think some, it, it would be a great time for somebody who thought that they had a segment who are really, in, you know, somebody who's basically selling wine through somewhere like Waitrose and has a segment who'd be very interested in a, a sustainability forward story and a bit of a Tesla uh, brand. It would be a good time to look at alternative packaging and sort of reinvent the wine box and rethink about how we ship the stuff around. When I was working with Natura Cosmetics in Brazil, they brought out this squishy pack for one of their best selling soap liquid soap uh, products called Sue, and they found that they could get i think about five times as many packs on a truck by making them squishy and soft and just making it the liquid area it, the liquid volume is the volume in the truck as opposed to all the air in between rigid cylindrical bottles and that kind of wine innovation could be very attractive to a minority and you could potentially you know, drive a new segment or a new market. There's been people in history like Stormhoik, if that's how you pronounce it, pronounce it I suspect, as I say, it is not, uh, really took over in the blogosphere when blogging was new. And, and they, they took, I think, 27% of the South African wine market in the UK by just reaching out to bloggers and this new technology sector and becoming the choice of that new generation. And I think there's an equivalent taste-making set of people in 
Williamsburg and Berlin and, you know, a trendy wine bar in, in Hackney who would respond well to a much more radical packaging innovation because it's a really, you know, what you just said about the, you know, the glass blowers lungs, it is a really good story and ripe for reinvention, but you'd have to do it. It can't just be a wine box. You'd have to do it in a really interesting new way. And of course there would be other models you could add to that, like refill packaging and others, which may, if as long as they have a positive product quality implication, um, or maybe we should have wine in cans. Somebody in the beer industry told me it's like beer's much better in cans than bottles in terms of the integrity of what you drink when it gets to your table. Yes, well, canned wine is certainly coming up the agenda. There are numerous brands launching it. It's sort of exploding in a way. Partly the justification being that although aluminium has a big a carbon footprint when it's manufactured, the recycling rates of aluminium are much higher than they are for glass. I think people it's have been actually, very, people, people it, been very it's surprised. Still, there's... There's a lot of debate currently about aluminium packaging because the, with steel, if you go to a steel works, about a quarter of what goes into the foundry is, is scrap. Um, and, you know, genuinely steel recycling has been built into the industry for 100 years. Because the magnesium, uh, magnesium and other things they put into uh, aluminium for different users. So if you're making, reusing aluminium for... Uh, food packaging you have to demag it mm -hmm. and uh, or something like that it means that in theory aluminium is infinitely recyclable and there's an energy input but other than that it's good in practice a lot of the cans that you will see uh, are actually virgin aluminium because it's too expensive and it's easier to do and i think uh, i've met somebody anyway from the stainless steel industry who said we really should be making all the cans in the world um, and they'd had you know that significant support from people like michael browncard the cradle to cradle also agree with them and there's also a couple of health concerns that are just at that level uh, at the moment there was a report from keel uh, university uh with their headline was no aluminium no alzheimer's and they'd studied the brain of, of alzheimer's patients and always found an excess concentration and it could be genetic that people you know don't expel uh, metals from your brain tissue as well it could be all sorts of things but i was talking to somebody who was making uh, 11 billion Nespresso capsules and going, aren't you a bit worried that you're flushing hot water through aluminium into through 11 billion capsules a year? If this is, and you know, like 10 years ago, we were potentially going to see the collapse of the mobile phone industry because it gave you brain cancer. And that, that proved to be less of a concern than smoking. Uh, yes, well, at least so far. Let's hope that's the case with aluminium because it certainly seems to be on the rise in terms of, uh, an alternative yeah, yeah. for wine. I sort of I assumed that this... if, it was, if it was going to hurt us, we'd know by now. I mean, we've been drinking, you know, Coca-Cola and other soft drinks out of aluminium cans for 50-odd years. So presumably... Gee, we are seeing a phenomenal global growth of Alzheimer's disease, and part of that is an ageing population, and it's just like if something else doesn't get you, maybe this yeah, does. People are living But there may be environmental poisons and other things involved in that that will mm. be future health shock. I, I, so it's a kind of question mark i think at the moment but it, it's worth looking at um you know sustainability through a, a number of lenses but absolutely. it's a very popular choice there's a lot of stuff moving to cans you're absolutely right you can get actually there's a um a trendy liquid soap company called can can where the refills come in a like a coke can with a ring a, a ring pull yeah we uh, we had a we run a through my other business innovation forum we run a plastics conference and we had a fantastic presentation last year from the french brand from provence uh, L'Occitane, the cosmetics brand oh, yeah. and they've made a 
they've made a sort of a marketing point out of people coming in and refilling their cosmetics, their, their steel cosmetics jars or whatever, in the shop. Mm. And it's become a sort of aspirational thing to do. You know, it's virtue yes. signaling, of course. Well, Selfridges are doing this now. Selfridges have, have got a beauty hall where you can go and get your refills refilled. And Loop, which uh, came out of TerraCycle, um, now most of the major. So you get your haagen in a tin and they come and pick it up like the Milkman or you can drop it off at Tesco's. And um, it looks like the way of the future, actually. Durable, reusable packaging is fantastic if you can set up, obviously, the filling and cleaning and refilling yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? It's that sort of last mile bit of recycling nobody ever wants to pay for. That's the big yeah. challenge, isn't it? But um, interesting opportunities for wine brands there. Any any final advice you'd add on transparency and trust and green marketing for wine brands, John? Uh, well, I assume, I actually assume that wine is in quite a good place and is, um, it, it's just worth checking that there are no, you know, one of my sustainability clients used to say, just, just walk around and just check there aren't any skeletons in the cupboard because whether it's European regulations or investigative journalism or whatever, it's not the next, in a sense, the next three to five years, uh, you can enjoy all kinds of uh, positive, supportive trends about authentic food and, you know, wine has been growing relative to beer, I believe, and so forth. And all of that's really positive. Just make sure you haven't got one of those skeletons in the cupboards. Like the, did you ever watch the, um, uh, the series Succession, no. sort of lightly based on the... There's, there's a fantastic plot line that runs all the way through, which is they've got a cruise line where somebody's... The previous boss of the cruise line has been covering up corporate disasters, you know, appalling things that have happened on cruise ships, people dying and being thrown overboard. And it's all been, like, buried through sort of legal NDAs and payoffs and other stuff. And the whole way through this series, this bomb is ticking and, and towards the end it explodes. Sorry for the plot spoiler. But just make sure you haven't got any of those. And um, uh, there are, but I think wine, you know, generally speaking, people would look at the sector and go, it's probably pretty good. It sort of feels like it's probably somewhere like similar to where craft beer and organic food is. So as long yeah. as there's nothing major that says that isn't so, then uh, you should be fine. It's just, yeah, it's just got that bottle weight and climate change footprint problem that perhaps beer in cans doesn't quite have in the same way um, although of course you know comparisons are challenging um, John thank you so much for your time on this uh, listeners if you want to read um, John's book it's called Greener Marketing uh, you can find it at all good online and offline booksellers um, and uh, John thanks so much for your time and insights yes, thanks, on the Sustainable Wine Podcast Thanks